Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the big founder. Big sugar. The founder of Mission USA and a man with unconventional thoughts on the concept of big sugar. Well, I, uh, it's all about the sugar, man. Yep. Jokes for two people yep. who are upstairs as we record this. Yep. That's the kind of tailored service we offer. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brewer, director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. All the way from Mercury City, one of the pastors of Christ Media Church, Lee Younger. Hey, folks. We are it's recording. Like sugar people are like, uh, it's getting in people's brains. That's true. And it's making them go hay wacky. So we're busting it wide open. <laughs> I hope right. that, again, we're recording this on New Year's Eve 2017. It will come out the second week of 2018. I'm hoping that some crazy sugar-related thing has happened. Right. They found out that there are just children running the, through the streets of America all whacked out on pixie sticks, and we're yeah. really we're being prescient. Right. Pixie sticks is the powdered cocaine of candy. Yes. that's. Am I wrong? No, I think that's an apt that, that and That and fun dip. Yeah, that's right. Apt, I say. Go on. Sure. I'm, am I the only one picturing uh, a... Seven-year-old snorting pixie sticks right now. <laughs> we all That's, thought about it when we were seven. On the, right. on the playground, there was that one area where you could get the pixie sticks, man. That's right. Uh, Mr. Johnson, I'm afraid we're uh, we going to have to come down. We had to suspend Tim. You had to get in a fight. No, he was speedballing pixie sticks. <laughs> and we don't even know what to do with that. So we just he's drying out in the vice principal's office. We thought right it now. was drugs. It turns out it's just sugar. Which is somehow way worse. Yeah, up on the blacktop, you can only get big league chew. You can't even. Yeah, kind of. That's right, dude. I will rock some big league chew <laughs> right now. That Lord. is awesome. Lord. Really, Jed? Dude, give me grape big league chew. I will do that pouch Lord. right now. That's, wow, I am just sad all over. You right can now. afford better gum, Jed. Oh, I can. <laughs> I choose Big League Chew. I will polish wow. it off with some Taco Bell. Wow. I am not afraid. Wow. Jen Brewer, let's point this out. Of anyone I know, especially when it comes to food right. and whatever Big League Chew is, food-like right. substances, <laughs> has the greatest dichotomy between right. high and low of things he enjoys. Yeah, it's like either foie gras yes. or Taco Bell. Yes. Yes. Don't give either, me that junk yeah, in between. Prepare in his home... F- food from a French cookbook, which right. he has found, yep. right. or Taco Bell. That's right. right. That's and right. both enjoyed with the same verb <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and just overjoyed that I think. We, we need like a super fan Twitter poll, people asking like, Submitting certain types of food and just see where where Jed lands on it. Sure, absolutely. Right. Jed right. will like judge a, your food. Like a Kraft Mac and cheese. Where does that... <laughs> and on that basis, I declare an emergency. <laughs> Please. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, there are people out there that we when, do know that when they well okay, but here's what Wait, happens: there are other people in the world. Yeah, not not just the bunker. There's we other never people. should have let Jed outside that cave. <laughs> here's what happens: is people like a show. That's true. And then the people who do that should put the show together. Say this is a, this is a money making deal, right? Oh. And so what they do is what you call a spinoff. Ooh. Oh. And they spin the people off, which means they're in another show. Okay. Sure. And then, so they're going to double their shows, double your money, boom. Okay. I okay. like money. 
So, well, we that, <laughs> that's what I think is this show needs a spinoff. Oh. Huh. So we're going to skip the part about people liking it? Yeah, that's or right. Or if we just go or straight being to spinoff. A money I think that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. efficient. We're just going to go straight to spinoff. Yeah, I like that. that's makes good. sense. Um, there's a lot of uh, different... Uh, uh, for example, we could, we could uh, record the cough that Jed just did where he... Uh, <laughs> Sounded like he might have been retrieving a lung. <laughs> no, recording coughs is not a spinoff. It is just this show before. <laughs> yeah, I'm the only yeah. one who hears that version of this show. Yeah. So um, so there's a lot of ideas out there of different shows. Now, they, they have a show that's very popular that people like called, uh, it's a British show called Hurry Up and Bake. Okay. It's like people, it's, it, it, they bake as fast as they can is my understanding of it. Okay. I believe you're referring to the Great British Bake Off. Right. And I believe those are fans of that show will come for us. I, I also Don't, will say yeah. it is an awesome show. Yes. <laughs> Leave so for both like, reasons of taste and a successful marriage. Both I have a feeling both uh, brothers Lee and Jed are going to come down pro Great British Bake Off. Here. I've never yeah. watched it, but I would describe it as scrummy. Wow, I don't. Scrummy. I don't think that. I don't, don't think that adjective worked out the way you wanted it to. In Scrummy. England, that might no. mean something slightly different. But here's the thing: is that my understanding is they have like a starter's pistol. Nope. And they just go bang. Nope. And they race across the kitchen as fast as they can. Negative. And start bacon. Throwing okay. elbows. Not a thing. Stuff. Right. Yes. Nope. It, like who stole the baking soda? Well, in that Inaccurate. kind of, it's like a sure. competitive. Sure. Yes. You know, it's, you saw, it's full contact baking. That's my understanding. Yes. That's like tackling. Yes. And that's nope. what makes it great. Yes. Um, then they have another show that's fairly popular. That people like called Sewing and Crying. Okay. <laughs> And you know, just because your wife likes two things doesn't make them spinoffs of each other. <laughs> well, that's not what spinoff means. I really am confused then, because yeah, here's all I know is she will watch as many episodes of Sewing and Crying as they make. Sure. She will watch that show and get into it. Okay. Sure, no, that's, that's fine. Again, not a spinoff. That's just two things Jane likes. Right. <laughs> so, um, so the it, spinoff would be like you had your Cheers. Right. And, and then, then you had your Frasier. Then we had your Frasier. Well, then you had the the much much less popular Woody. Yeah, had to, they, that didn't go anywhere. No one wanted to see that. Well, I think I follow what you're saying. Uh, but here's another thing: is I'm really not good at baking or sewing. So How about crying? or crying, crying uh, like if I stub my toe. Sure, but like, do you, people want to see a show where that my Toe just gets. I point hit, you hit with hammer. The look of glee on Jeff's face, like yes, yes, please that show. Glenn, please. are you aware of a little show that's run for some forty seasons called America's Funniest Home Videos, which is pretty much exactly that? Okay, well, okay, um, so we got Glenn gets hurt. Okay, okay. that's that's, that's a, one. We'll lock that down. We've got. I think uh, I'm going to slightly alter something Glee pitched earlier, which is will Jed eat it? Yes, yeah. yes. And the answer will not surprise you, but it'll depress you. <laughs> we, we've got we've got will Jed eat it ouch my That's toe my yeah, my toe we've got I think this would have to be like a, a, a kind of only one of these a quarter kind of a Netflix thing but on the, the subject of the, the Jed Food Network here Jed uh, brings people who've never been to the Chicago Land area before to White Castle yes because that's happened wow. a couple of times on our friends Adam our friend Bridie and uh, if you want you want so, if you want someone to shepherd you through the White Castle experience of right. the Melrose Park White Castle at 11 p.m. Ugh. It's Jed. 
Happy to serve because uh, he knows the terrain. I would also uh, venture to throw in this one time where after the bridge, we went. Uh, Glenn wanted to take the kids to get some food. We we suggested a Denny's, and then Glenn said, "Okay, Denny's, but not this Denny's. We're going to my favorite Denny's." Right. So we drove good Denny's forever to go to, go good, to Denny's. good Denny's. <laughs> drove back to basically where the bridge was, yeah, if yeah. I recall correctly. That was also known as the Denny's where no one had gotten hepatitis A, unlike the other Denny's. So, yeah. fair. There's also, I, I feel like there's a there's some, uh, the, you know, there's some fertile ground in the idea of 90s t- TV references with Matt King. Oh, know, like the, the fact sure. that most of the references that, that all of us make on the show happened before most of our listeners came into the world. Yeah. Well, we can, if we want to kind of jazz the title there, we can just call it God, You're Old. Right. <laughs> I think we have to make a, a reference, but then try to explain it. Right. I think actually that would be a good one. Well, for Glenn and Jed, explain that movie reference. Why did well, you say that? The, sure. Well, yes. there are several, you know, there, it is people who know Jed and I are aware that we can have a complete conversation only in movie quotes. That's definitely I've true. experienced that. We, we can express all of our thoughts and feelings in the form of movie quotes that we give to each other. Uh, but he, now here's might be an angle on that. The thing about me is I like movie quotes. I give up. I, you know, I say, you know, it's like in the movie when the guy said the thing, because it's yeah. just, it's, it's like all art is, it's a, a wonderful representation that, that states something that's otherwise kind of hard to express, and it puts it in a fully contained form. But Jed cannot, <laughs> not. I can, I can say not the quote in the tone of voice of the thing, yeah. and he knows the quote I'm talking about. And But the thing is, if I give him the reference, he can't not say the rest of it. Say the rest of it. Yeah. So I think the thing is, it's like one of those uh, things where we put him in a uh, in a in a booth yeah. and put the headphones on and have someone misquote the movie <laughs> right. to Jed, right? And see how much he can <laughs> I take. Like that. Yeah. And then at some point he cracked. He's like, "That's not the quote he said like this," you know. Yeah. And then that's you know that's how good. long can he like go? That. You watch his ire build, and then he just yeah. blows up, and yeah, then the, the no. sweat. The people could also just listen to the bridge loud, where you guys. You know, you guys just do that. Like at every intro, there was the one yes. Bridge Loud episode where half of the half of the thirty minutes was like Blues Brothers quotes. I think the, eventually yes. some advice yes. happened, but it was like yes. songs and Blue Brothers quotes. It's a lot of self discipline on our part that every episode of every show we record does not just devolve into Blues Brothers quotes. Absolutely, that's right. Yeah, I think I think that's that's very good. I think these are all. Um, Wonderful ideas. I think if, if listeners have an idea, it's for something to add to the, the spinoff showcase army, then that's that's a great thing. You can write in. You can, you can tweet us, however, Carrier Pigeon, however you suggest those messages. But I think that'll about do us. And Glenn, if you'd like to uh, guess for the parliamentary procedure there. Yeah. What, Say emergency what? off, please. Oh, I, uh, oh, emergency off. Yeah. Speaking of traps that <laughs> Glenn likes very to well. set, I'm trying to end that segment there. But if I had set emergency off, there'd have been a, it would have triggered uh, a different bit about how, you know, that's not how we do it. Well, of course, it's not how we do it. <laughs> we're we're living in a society here, Matthew. 
<laughs> I think for some of us, this entire show is a Catch-22 style <laughs> experiment, <laughs> and there's no evidence to the contrary. Now, but something that's not a trap, it's not meant to ensnare you or involve judgment. It's just it's just something we put out for you nice people, and that's Bridgebox. comes out every month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8. Get songs, sermons, Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff based around a topic. We're still, of course, in January 2018, where our topic is, Why Should I Keep Growing? There's a lot of very encouraging stuff in there. Songs from Jed, from Lee, from some other friends. Sermons from Glenn and myself. All sorts of good stuff. MissionUSA.com slash Bridge box. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you the ways you can touch this. First question comes in to Glenn's inbox, unclelenn.com, and it says, Can you please explain Hebrews 6, 4 through 6? I feel like because I left God for 10 years and I'm starting to come back to him, this passage makes me feel condemned. I have essentially re-crucified Christ. And I think we all join in saying, why don't you settle down there, hotshot, with the re-crucifying Christ? <laughs> right. But we understand what you mean. It's a very good question. And Lee, if you'd be so kind as to start us off on this one. Sure. I, w- I will start us off, although it came into a very popular blog, which is not my blog. My blog is maybe it's, it's you know, rubbed up against some popularity at some point, but, hmm. but Glenn's blog is quite popular. Oh, Lee, I fully understand what a blog is, that you have one, and I celebrate all the relevant facts. <laughs> That's oh, impressive. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that that, that bit is going to turn into its own spinoff. It's, <laughs> it's the Frasier of the Antagonizing the boss with Jed Brewer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, here's, here's the deal. If you just look at some of the stuff that Jesus said, uh, you're, you're going to feel a whole lot better about this. And if you just take Jesus at his words, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that anyone, this is a great, great word, anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's awesome. Anybody that comes to Jesus, Jesus says, here's a money back guarantee. I will not cast you out. If you come to me, if you want this relationship, I want it better than you do. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, and, and what's really cool is sometimes you hear people talk about one thing that's weird about the Bible is the Old Testament's all rough and, 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 you know, and mean and all that. God is mean and all this kind of stuff. And then in the New Testament, he lightens up or whatever. But actually in the Old Testament, God says in the book of Malachi, he says, return to me and I will return to you. This is like, this is the way that God is. And by the way, we need this kind of good news because we all walk away and come back. We all do. Everybody does. If you meet somebody that, that, that people say, well, they've just been amazing and just perfectly faithful and sincere the whole time, they haven't. They really haven't. They're lying to somebody at some point about something. We've all walked away. We've all come back. We've all gotten serious and then turned our back in, in some way for some reason at, at another time. But here's the thing is, you're saying, I want this relationship with Jesus. And what Jesus says to you is, cool, let's go. I will not cast you out. That's an awesome thing to know. And one of the things that we talked about, we talk about a lot on this podcast is when you see something in the scriptures that you don't understand, one of the things that you can know about it is that it's not going to cancel out something else that the scripture says about this good news. So if the good news of Jesus is he wants this relationship with you, and if you're coming to him, he will not cast you out, then whatever we're looking at in Hebrews chapter 6, 
that's not where you are. If you want this relationship with him, he wants that with you. That's something that you can count on. That's something that you can cling to. And that's going to give you the, the, the peace. This is the, this is the good news is that, that Jesus gives out charity. That's what actually the, the, the word grace in the New Testament, the Greek word is where we get the word charity. And it's not, that means that his love, his acceptance, his favor, his, his blessing, his, a place in his family and in his home and in heaven, all that stuff, it doesn't come for people who have walked a straight line, who have lived this perfectly. It comes as charity, which means to people who don't have it. Who people who don't have what it takes, people who don't have it on their own. We are the recipients of charity, and that's an awesome thing. And Jesus says, if you need more, come and get more. I always want to hook you up. If you're heavy laden, if you're burdened down, if you're a sinner, if you've got hangups and problems in a past, this is where you need to come, and I will not cast you out. And that's good news. Amen. Good news Amen. indeed. And also a great example for what we talk about, we talk about how to think through these kind of difficult passages of scriptures. As Lee has given us a very good example there, if it does not undo everything else that is in the Bible. It has to work in the context of the entire story, which Lee has given us there. And Glenn, maybe we can, if I can go to you here to take us to the next step of that, of what is the context of where this particular passage falls within uh, the the chapter here and who that chapter's for. Well, it, that's a key question because the first thing we want to do if we're trying to understand a Bible verse is look at the context. So that means looking at the verses that are around it. In this case, uh, you're quoting us a verse or talking about a verse from uh, Hebrews chapter 6, and the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrews. Oh, so it's not just a clever nickname. That's right. Uh, and the thing is, uh, there are uh, th- this is a message that's designed for them. Of course, it can apply to us, and it does apply to us, but we have to understand the context of that in order to figure out how to apply that to our lives. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you these three verses that you're asking us about, and, um, and then I, we're, we're going to use a, these context clues to tease out what's what's going on in here. Uh, it is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Uh, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Okay, here's what you thought that verse was saying that those three verses were saying if you are saved and you backslide you cannot be forgiven <laughs> those words and any possible version or variation of them are not in that verse yeah. at all that is not what that verse is saying I'll, I'll, I'll quickly read it again it's impossible for those who've been enlightened who've tasted the heavenly gift who have shared in the holy spirit who've tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance to their loss they're crucifying the son of god all over again subjecting him to public disgrace he's saying if you're a jewish person who has had all of these prophecies about jesus christ where Jesus was born to you as a people, walked among you, and did miracles in front of you, and you saw all of that stuff, and you heard this message, it came into your ear holes, and you decided to reject it, you are not going to be able to be Jewish enough to be saved. Mm. Very simple point. 
couldn't i mean it's 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 right there in black and white but for whatever reason i think when we get into sort of a guilt type of mindset and get away from the stuff that lee was talking about there we start making these assumptions you you assume that when he says enlightened and tasted and shared in and he's using these words right. that that somehow he, that means saved mm. If he meant saved, he would have said saved. If he meant born again, he would have said born again. The, the salvation and those words are not in that verse. Um, uh, and likewise, we're making an assumption when it says fallen away, that that means you've backslid. Drinking and of, pornography. Right, exactly right. That's not what that's saying either. Again, the context of that is you're, you're a Jewish person, you've heard this message, and you've... you've, you, you've Maybe you've thought about it, maybe you consider it, but you've, you've gone away from that, and you've said, no, I'm just going to be a Jew, and a really good Jew, and that was good enough before, so I'm going to keep on that now, anyway, because I just want to self-style this thing. And he's saying, you don't have that option. Mm. Simple message, couldn't be clear. Uh, it, it fits in with all the rest of Scripture, <laughs> and it, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, but I think I want to circle back to what Lee is talking about and end in this on that by saying there is no possible way that God is saying here's the deal I'll save your immortal soul but you can't ever commit a sin after that that would not be much of an offer <laughs> that, that, suck. that is not no one's making that deal with you because you couldn't do it, and neither could I, neither could, neither could anybody else, and that would be weird, and that's crazy, and it's nuts, and it would be the worst gamble of all time. All right, I'll send my son to die for you, but uh, I, I really expect you to never do anything but wrong. that's it. That's it. This is it. You know, there's no way. I mean, that's just the logic of that. You've been warned. Really, yeah. It, 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 but I think this is the, this is the thing is... Uh, where tra- that that sense of guilt attracts us to these misinterpretations of yes, scripture. And it that's, just, that's and it, right, right, and it just seems yeah. so true to you because it's sort of a weird emotional resonance yeah. with you. And when you've heard that, and people have tweaked it to you that way, it it, it you you have to kind of push harder to get away from it. And we re- we understand that that's what you're doing here. That you recognize this isn't quite what you think it is. Uh, but we want to let you know you are absolutely right to to push away from that terrible, terrible misinterpretation. I think it's a fantastic point. And, uh, Jed, if maybe we can—so if Lee gave us that overall context, and Glenn's done a great job giving us the context within this chapter, let's look at that uh, last piece, which is the personal and emotional what's going on with the person asking this question here. Sure. And to start us off there, I'm going to read from later in this chapter— because starting in verse 9 in Hebrews 6, says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, mm. the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continued to help them. So if we read the whole of this chapter and we decided, I think that first part's for me, I think that second part's not for me, that tells us something about where we are. Sure. And again, right. that's not a judgment, but that's that we all bring kind of our emotional state, stuff we've heard to... Uh, the the what we read in the Bible. So taking what Leah's given us, what Glenn has given us, how do we start to maybe 
look at where we may have gone wrong to get where we started? That's a great question. So it sounds like, for our question asker, that you have taken the view of this that is the most negative possible view for you, and we're just assuming that that's true. And I um, struggle with doing that in my own life. Oh, so, yeah. So uh, I we feel you. We all do, yeah. It's a constant pessimist off amongst the Mission USA staff quite <laughs> that's often. That's right. That's right. But just for a second, let's let's do almost a thought experiment of... Yes, one possibility is that you're the worst, and you send your way out of being saved, and now you're doomed. No one else ever did it, but you pulled it off. Exactly right. right. You're the first and only. We'll, we'll, we'll put that as a possibility. It's not, but we'll put that as a possibility. What other possibilities are there? And you say, I, feel, I left God for 10 years, and I'm just now starting to come back to him, and I, and I feel condemned. You left something. What did you actually leave? Okay. Let's explore that for a second. Elsewhere in the Bible, they asked the, uh, David actually asked the rhetorical question, where could I ever run from your spirit? Mm. Where could I hide from your presence? You, you actually can't leave God. It's at the bottom of the ocean, right? Yeah, no. Because uh, God if, can't if I, swim? If I went to the bottom of the ocean, behold, you would be there. Oh, oh. That, so that's actually in the Bible. That's in the oh, Bible. Okay. So you, you actually you can't leave God in, in the sense that you mean because he's... He's everywhere. So right. what would you actually leave? You might have left a church. That's, that's right. something. You might have left a college fellowship group. You might have left a youth group. I have, but I think you need to ask yourself, what would you actually leave? Because, again, I mean, you, you can't leave an omnipresent being, so that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's not it. Um, and uh, here's the thing. People who actually have just given up on the idea of God, they're not asking the questions you're asking. So exactly. that yeah. that's not what we're dealing with. So what'd you actually leave? And I have a theory that uh, I'd, I'd like you to think about. I think what you left was nonsense Christian culture. I think that's what you left. Yeah, amen. I think you looked at the combination of weird church stuff and weird yeah. Christian media stuff and maybe weird Christian political stuff and said, Say I'm that. out. Yeah. I'm tired of the weirdness. I'm tired of feeling bad about myself. I'm tired of hating other people. I'm tired of being negative. I'm tired of being angry. No, I'm just not yeah. doing that anymore. Right. And here's what I want you to know. I did the exact same thing in my life. Yeah. I did the exact same thing about midway through college. I, re I remember the night. I remember a clear moment of saying, no, no, I'm just done. I'm not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. If you had asked me at the time, do you feel like you're leaving God? I think I might have said, Maybe I don't. I don't really know. I can tell you now. I wasn't leaving God. I was leaving nonsense. Right. Those are two very, very different things. Here's why that's important. If you left behind a bunch of Christian, you know, I'm putting Christian in air quotes there, Christian nonsense. You don't need to come back to any of that. No, yeah. L leave that where you left it. Yeah. The idea of saying I want to turn back around and recognize that God's been with me this whole time. That's a great idea. I want to begin to intentionally further build in a new direction an active relationship with God. Wonderful idea. Nothing more righteous than that. But leave that nonsense stuff behind. There's a reason you left it. That, that was almost certainly the right call. And here's the key thing, and this is something as you're kind of building a fresh relationship with God, I'd like to encourage you to make a, a, a primary subject of your prayer life is to begin asking, does God agree with my dislike of the stuff that I left behind. Hello. Are, are God and I on the same page about not being down with the guilt? 
Are God and I on the same page about not being down with the meanness? Are God and I on the same page about not being down with the prejudice? I think the answer may surprise you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think if you find that there's a God who is actually more angry than you are about the stuff that's done in his name, I think that's going to lead to a deeper, uh, more full relationship with him than you could imagine is possible uh, yeah. right now. Amen. Absolutely. There, there are two quick uh, specific things in this verse that I think uh, definitely trip people up that we should, we should look at just real quick over here. And one is the word impossible. Mm-hmm. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, da 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 da, da all the way through to uh, gain pr- uh, repentance. So um, there's a great uh, guy who writes a Bible commentary. His name is William Barclay. If you type that name, B-A-R-C-L-A-Y, into the App Store, there's a free app on iOS with all his commentaries or things. So that's, it's free. You can't go wrong there, but he makes a point that a lot, there's a lot of different interpretations of what that means by impossible. And some, you know, your, your, Eurystice, you know, ancient Greek guys at the time thought, well, that's a word that means super duper hard. Kind of it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. There are things that are impossible for people that are possible for God. That's very clear. So again, when you it's, easy to see words like that in big old neon lights. And that's why we need exactly the context that Lee started us off with. Know that there's not such a thing as losing your salvation. There's no way of sending your way out of grace. So that doesn't mean that you do a thing that is impossible to come back from. We must be talking about something else that's impossible there. And the other one is this idea of to their laws, they're crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So the easy to make, especially if you were raised by a bunch of guilt, logical leap there is that is, that's bad. To, to be re, if I'm doing something that is re-crucifying Jesus, that means I'm on the bad side. I'm not the good people. The good people go to heaven. I'm not the good people. What, we have to look at the way Jesus treated the people who were literally crucifying him mm-hmm. with the forgiveness and that they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. and all that. So when you say re-crucifying him, again, not good. But that idea that to something like that automatically means being cast out, we have to, as, as Jed said about right here, put a pause on a bit of the guilt and actually look at what happens. Right. It makes a lot more sense when you put it in that context that he's saying you've, you, you've condemned his message like you did his, yeah. Absolutely. There's, there's some stuff going on here that if you look at just this verse, in the, maybe these three verses, out of these, this greater context with a certain eye, it's totally reasonable to have it, to think that it says what you've kind of interpreted here. Now, there was something that we would, I would strongly guess that's Holy Spirit that nudged you to say that's probably not it. And the good news about the Bible when it goes to stuff, as we talked about a little bit with the Revelation on the last episode, is digging in more is the answer. Right. You know, the, the, the idea of, well, that's what it says, and that's just what it says, and I'm just, right. I'm totally boned, theologically right. speaking. That's always an instinct to to back away from. So maybe that's reading the, the chapter in context. Maybe that's getting a good commentary. That's maybe that's writing it to us. We're more than happy to do that. We can also, if you don't, if you don't want it on the show, or you want it quicker, you can email in. We'll, we'll, we'll do that offline. But always the, the answer is here, here, here you go. Seminarians, theologians, Presbyterians. This is your moment. The answer is more Bible. There's wow. one, an, there's one wow. question to which the answer is more Bible. <laughs> and it is right. this. You bet. So don't be afraid to look at all of that. Okay, we're going to move on to our second question here. This one came in anonymously. It says, I'm gay, and I have a boyfriend, and I love him deeply. Where do I stand? Glenn, why don't you start us off? Well, like the rest of us, you're a sinner. 
That's how it works. I mean, there's a, a the tendency to say uh, it, to 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 say this on the part of some people who have very deep issues that we may or may not explore in the next few minutes here. There's a tendency on some people to say this is a special kind of sin. Hey, Glenn, am I a sinner? I'm not sure. <laughs> you are. Jeff, you are. I You're... can say with absolute certainty, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> the gloves are off. Wow. Just, it's true of me, too. I mean, yeah. it, it was like for a second, he had like a smoking jacket on and a pipe with a brandy. And yeah, he just crossed his legs. Yeah, yeah. monocle. He says, I can say with complete My good sir. Here, yeah. Here's all I'm saying. We'll take Quite a quick confidence. pause. Friends on the internet. Think about how much more you would enjoy your church if you could get away with saying that. Yes. yes. So yes. Said, I don't know if this is wrong or not. You go, oh, Susan, let me stop right now. It's wrong, and right. you know it's wrong. That's right. <laughs> Just, you know, that's yeah. a key to ha- maybe, maybe more of that in 2018 is all I'm they, saying. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, everyone on this podcast is a sinner, so are you. Especially those of us in this podcast. That's, that's absolutely the case. Um, it, and I think it's important for us to recognize that um, we we cannot discuss this without looking at the cultural context that has shaped this issue. Sure, that that has changed us off of what the Bible says and has added another layer that's not biblical onto this. Now, now, Glenn, are you saying that the Hellenistic world and the Greek world in which the Bible was written of two thousand years ago had maybe some some different? Attitudes towards sexuality than uh, uh, 20th century America? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question about that. And I think, really, I, I remember uh, once on, on the uh, blog, I, I had a guy write in uh, who was a uh, um, uh, sort of like a lay leader in the church. I think he was in seminary at the time. The... And he, he, was, he was asking me about uh, homosexual stuff in the Bible, and he said, I cannot see how this isn't a major issue, like a big deal thing. I'm like, uh, in what universe? Mathematically? Yeah, just like— Does he put in a spreadsheet how many times certain sins are mentioned? Right. It would be pretty low. That's what I'm telling him. I'm like, there are a lot of things that are getting a lot of emphasis here. This is not one of them. So— um, that's a that's a cultural thing uh, there. Uh, there are no degrees of sin. The Bible doesn't say uh, these are the okay ones. These are the <laughs> ones that you know the uh, uh, sin is sin. In fact, that, that's what the word means is to miss the mark. It's the idea that there's exactly what God wants you to do, and then there's everything else. And you say, well, if that's true, then we're all sinning all the time. And I bring you, you back yep. to the, where we started on <laughs> yes, this. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, but the real question to me is, um, do you want to do it God's way? Uh-huh. Whether that's gay, whether that's straight, whether that's sexual stuff, whether that's what you do with your money, whether it's whatever it is. Do you want to do it your way? Do you want to do it God's way? Now, I'm going to point the finger at myself now. I want to do it my way. Right. And here's what's even worse. I want God to hook up my way and yep. get on my plan so that I can, he will help me screw up my own life with my own stupid plan that I have that I'm working <laughs> on, on everything. And I'm not talking about sex stuff. I'm talking about money stuff. I'm talking about lifestyle stuff. I'm talking about relationship stuff, what, work things, whatever those things are. 
I have a way that seems right to me. I have a thing that I think will this will make me happy. If I just had this, it would make me happy. And the, the truth is, most of the time, I hang on to that way too long. The truth is, I've pursued all those things in terms of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, before I was married, I had a, a, you know, a lifestyle uh, and, and did sexual stuff that I'm not proud of today, that I'm not happy about. And, but I did what I wanted to do there. And right. here's what happened. It just didn't make me happy. Yeah. That didn't happen. And I didn't find that connection uh, with, with that person quite in the way that I wanted. But I, I, before I send it to the rest of these uh, other people, uh, I, I, I want to emphasize first and foremost that, that when we're talking about that uh, submitting yourself to God and letting God shape those things, uh, that that's a process that takes time, that you yes. do by layers, that we all struggle with. No one on this show has any right to... To, to, to judge you or look down on you in that way. And um, it's about taking something and saying, Lord, if you want this to change, I'm ready for it to change. Simple as that. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is, you, in your question, it says, I'm gay, I have a boyfriend, and I love him deeply. And can we take a moment to say, the love is not a problem here. Mm -hmm. The love mm -hmm. is not, there's nothing wrong with the love part here. Mm -hmm. Uh, love is not a physical thing. We're talking about the physical, sexual nature of this kind of thing. And that's, that's a separate issue from the love. Love is a spiritual thing. And you can share a, a, a bond and have a closeness with someone and feel like that's real and it's substantial and that it's beyond the physical. Sure. And that part is not something God would condemn. It's not something we would condemn. There, there may be problems with that there. If, uh, if, and if God wants that to change, uh, we hope that you find that courage to, to make that change. But it's about recognizing that, uh, that God loves you, that we love you, yeah. we don't judge you. The love that you share... Uh, with this other individual, it, that part isn't the problem. It's about saying it's about letting God be in control because He wants the best for you. It's a great point, and Jed, I'd love to get you here with that. Let's look at that idea of layer by layer and mm -hmm. some priority because mm -hmm. as I think as Glenn's pointing out here, there is a culture, yep. cultural influence that would say, "Well, this is this is the worst thing." Oh yeah, this is sure. the thing that makes me as a straight fifty-year-old white man uncomfortable. Therefore, it has to be the biggest sin. Yeah. Greed, I'm fine with. So totally. it turns out greed's real low on the list. So how do we look at something and say, okay, this is a thing that, according to the Bible, is not good. Right. But there's also a swirling miasma of chaos of things that aren't good. Right. And I, I want to, and this is about as holy as any of us can hope to get, I want to get on the same page with God on where to start with all this. Yes. What does that journey actually look like practically? Well, I think we start with um, reality, which is no one sees eye to eye with God on everything. Amen. Nobody. His, and especially their sexuality. Like, Hello. His eyes are like higher than ours are. Yes, his eyes are infinitely higher than ours are. And Lee, you're right, especially in regards to sexuality. Um, the, the biggest lie in the world is God said it. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> that's a load of nonsense. Um, that, that, that's not it. Uh, no honest person sees eye to eye with God on everything. Amen. Uh, and, and if you want the proof in the pudding, no honest person sees eye to eye with any other person on everything. Yes. There's no such thing as that. Even their own self. Yes. Even their own standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. 
Tuesday Jed doesn't see eye to eye with Wednesday Jed. They're, no. all, they're all over the place. New Absolutely. Year's resolution Jed does not see eye to eye with middle of, G- of July Jed. You know that's right. Look, I'll, I'll give you one for me with, with God. Here, God is, like Jesus talked about money a lot. Um, he didn't mention homosexuality a single time. He talked about money mm. a lot. Yeah. And here's, here's what he said. God owns your money. God wants you to be generous because it's his money. So, like, I should put it in a all of it in a low-yield savings account so God can find it when he, he needs it? He super did not say that. Bury it in the ground. He super did not say that. He actually specifically condemned that approach. Oh. He said it's God's money. He wants you to use it God's way. He wants you to be generous with other people. He wants you to put it to work to accomplish God's purposes. He wants you to use it to help build relationships with people and show love. He said these things super clearly. They're hard to miss. And here's the thing. (laughs) I hate all of that. A lot of people working pretty hard to miss them. You want to Scrooge McDuckett, you know? That's that's what we want to do. Dude, I literally want... The phrase I say to Hallie all the time is, I want a big pile of money to comfort me. Yes. That is these. I, I'm giving you a view behind the curtain here for a second. Yeah. These are the literal words I say to my wife. I want a big pile of money to comfort me. And and you know it won't work, but you want it anyway. I, it, That's right. I know it won't work. I, but, it, but let me try. I've never yeah, had yeah. anything. Try it once. I've never had anything bigger than the world's tiniest, tiniest pile of pennies, and it made <laughs> right. no difference of any kind. Those make right. a terrible pillow. Right. <laughs> it's awful. But I'm. I resent God telling me I can't have my pile to comfort me. Right. That's what I want. Right. The thing I'm trying to do poorly, but I'm attempting to do, is I'm saying we need to work this through. I, I want to go to the Lord and I want to say, clearly we need to have a discussion about money. Same and I, I need to be open to fully having that discussion. Because here's the thing. It's bad for me to say, I want my pile, so I'm just going to have my pile. I mean, that's, that's not very Christian. But here's the funny thing is me saying, you say I shouldn't have a pile, so I guess I just won't have a pile. We'll just do it your way. That's not exactly, exactly righteous either. Right. Because right. I'm not really addressing my doubts if I do that. That's right. I'm not really addressing my concerns. It's I'm kind of doing the right thing, but my heart's not in it. Right. So it's not exactly righteous. And here's the key thing. It's not sustainable. You also Um, didn't learn anything about yourself. Excuse me for interrupting. Please. No, you're absolutely right. I didn't learn anything about myself. I didn't learn anything about God's heart and why he feels this way. I, I um, I am obeying with my body and nothing else. Yeah. And that's not really obedience. That's right. That's the funny thing. Um, there, there a lot of people say, oh, you're doing it's really good. That's it, No, that's that's actually not it. Because, yeah. you know, nowhere in this is, have I learned, have I grown, is my heart engaged? The way that we get... Like, like you would be honoring him with your mouth, but my heart, heart would be far from huh. it. Yes, it's exactly like that. Mm. No one no wants to hear things you made up, Glenn. <laughs> Yeah. The way we actually get somewhere, which takes a long time and is messy and is dramatic and church people won't like it, mm-hmm. is we talk this all the way through 10 million times. Right. And it's okay that we start from the place of me feeling like I don't see any way we could get on the same page. Right. I don't see how that's even possible. That's most of my prayer life starts right there. There you go. (laughs) God understands that. He really, really, he's not put off by that. Dude, Mm. he knows. Right. He, not only does he know I have a hang up about money, he knows why 
I have a hang-up about money. He mm. knows what box in my head I'm hoping to fix through my hang-up right. about money. Right. He, he gets it. Right. He's not judging me. He's not looking down on me. But here's the one other thing, and this is the part that applies to your situation. He's also not in a hurry. Mm. The one thing, in addition to the idea of being willing to, to have that conversation all the way, is going to the Lord. This is the other part of really having a good relationship with the Lord, is saying, I'm willing to have that conversation. I'm willing to do it all the way. As Matt said, there are a million things we need to have a conversation about. Tell me which conversation needs to come first. Yep. Which conversation are we focusing on today? Because maybe it's the conversation about your sexuality. Maybe it's not. And the funny thing about being a humble, godly Christian person is you let the Lord make that call. Okay. You you don't let the angry guy on the TV make that call. You don't let your friends who are uncomfortable with things make that call. You sure as heck don't let your guilt or shame make that call. Mm-hmm. You listen for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit to guide you and show you what the thing is that we need to be looking at. And then we have that conversation all the way. Amen. If you are invested in that process, you're doing this Christian thing as right and as thorough and as holy as it can be done. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody look down on you. That's what it means. You said, where do I stand? That's what it means to be a good and right and godly Christian. And we've got your back on that journey. It's a fantastic point. That's all very good stuff. Leave you close out by, let's look at, I think it's a great phrase the person gives us of, where do I stand? Because I think that does inform how you would go to God with that. So is that there's the idea that Glenn starts off with that you know there's not certain levels of sin there are not people who start behind the eight ball as far as sin but on a just a basic vanilla theological reality let's where do you stand and how does that inform how you go about starting to have these conversations with God really cool way to ask that I totally agree with what these guys are saying about all this and uh, there's a couple things about where you stand it's a great way to ask it. Um, as these guys have already said, it, it, it bears repeating. You stand right now as a person that God loves. He loves you. Nobody else gets to say anything about that. There is no, there is no hesitation in his mind about that. Um, I, I have, I have uh, friends who are gay who have said that the way that they've made that, that they've been made to feel that they are less, they are not lovable that there is an inherent defect in their, in, in their heart or their spirituality or, or whatever. That is not the case. You are loved. That's where you stand. You stand before God as someone who is loved. Here's another thing about where you stand. You stand before God by yourself. And that's an important thing. Um, Jed said it at the very end of his response to this, but it, it, it bears kind of uh, not only repeating, but kind of digging in a little bit more on this. This process that Jed is talking about, that is no one else's business. Amen. Um, Amen. It's, no, it's not on anybody else's timeline. It's not on, uh, it, it doesn't need to have anything to do with anybody else's uh, decisions about your life or anything like that. This is this is between you and the Lord. One thing that that <clears throat> we no one ever really asks about unless they're in outreach work or discipleship work, which is a lot fewer people in the church than you would think, is that there there are almost nobody that's that's in a like a heterosexual 
relationship with somebody where they're asking the exact same kind of questions that Jed and Glenn are talking about, asking about their sexuality. What does the Lord have to say about it? What do you want me to do? Almost none of those people in those relationships are asking those questions. Because the assumption is, oh, I'm in a heterosexual relationship, uh, so it's all good. Um, I don't need to investigate whether or not this is godly. I don't need to investigate whether or not I'm doing what the Lord has for me. But what what Glenn is talking about and what Jed is talking about is realizing in myself, everything I do is, is suspect. Everything about me is screwed up. Every motivation I have has a magnetic pull towards the selfish thing or the wrong thing or the self-destructive thing. And it's all, it's, I am an absolute hot mess. My, my brain, my heart, my everything about me. And so as Jed's saying, as, as Glenn's saying, if I want to get this, if I want to enter a place of health, of spiritual uh, life and, and peace and, and all that stuff, and if I want to figure out what righteousness means, then I have to start figuring out what does Jesus want for that stuff. And the amount of people who never, ever investigate those things, because, you know, it's, I, I'm a dude and I'm with a girl, so I don't ask those questions. It's all cool, bro. It's all cool. Everything's fine. That is, um, and for, unless you are a person who is involved in discipleship or outreach, you probably never, ever, ever come across these questions or ever investigate anything about your money life or about your prayer life or about your sexual life. There's a thing that happens where people get married and then they don't ever investigate the relationship ever again. Dude, you don't, look... When the wedding ceremony is over and we've declared someone a husband and wife, they haven't entered into a place of, uh, of sinless relationship for the rest of their life. They're still going to be massively sinning the whole time in that business. And there's still all kinds of things that need to be turned over to the Lord. All, all of that is leading here. The way, that, as these guys are saying, the way that the culture has, you know, napalmed this whole thing of late makes you feel like the spotlight is on you to get this crap settled and get it settled now. Like if you're going to be a Christian, that's the thing. And the question could be asked of every other Christian. Are you doing this? Are you investigating your life? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> are you, are you honestly pursuing what the Lord would have you grow in, in, in step by step as we, in a healthy kind of speed and that kind of stuff. Is anybody else doing this? Or are we only asking the gay people to do this? Right. Is, is that, that's, Amen. this is the whole thing. And I, I bring that up to say this, as these guys said, we're all sinners. Everybody needs to go through this process, put it on the Lord's timeline. And here's the deal. This is only your business. If you have somebody in your life whose walk with Jesus you trust, who is kind, who knows how to, how to listen to you and care about you, and you want to involve them in this process as somebody to walk through you, walk through this with you, uh, you know, like a pastor or a counselor or a friend who you trust, then you can make it their business and they can help you. Um, it's nobody else's business. And you don't have to give anybody, uh, you know, give me six more months to figure this out. You don't owe anybody an explanation on that. You stand before God as someone who's loved, and you stand before God alone. And not alone like you're alone in the world, but it's just between you and Him. 
Yep. And so you have the right to work this out in his timeline and out of the pressure of anybody else. Amen. That's all excellent stuff. It's a fantastic point. And I will, uh, I will add just the end of that. And it, it really does. It's a, it's a key pet peeve of mine, but I'm going to air it here. It really does apply. Um, Cause you're going to see this in some of this. There are a bunch of kind of conservative. I mean that theologically, even politically, there's a mainstream evangelical would certainly be the word white, older church establishment that has bought into this religion, this ideology, this theology of we're all sinners, saved by grace, no one is righteous. And then Paul felt the need, so he felt church people were going to wiggle out of it, so he added, comma, no, not even one, sit down, chair. <laughs> no one is righteous, not even one. And they, so they get on it, they're Christian, they're doing that, but then the first question they have, and they're like, a dog with a bone won't let it go, but, but who do I get to be better than? Because mm. like, but I'm better than the gay ones, and I'm better than the ones who vote this way, but I'm better than the ones who do this. And here's the thing. You're not. That's, that's the fundamentals of Christianity. But this is a point Glenn has made recently, and it's one that, that is well taken. Is If you asked certain people in the church establishment, if you went into the pews on Sunday morning in a mainline Protestant church and asked uh, just you know, respectable-looking people with their mini sweaters, how, if you had to percentage grade it on how close to all the way lined out as a Christian you are, prior to that be sanctification is a fancy theological word. How sanctified are you? If you gave them sodium pentothal and they had to tell the truth, most say like, eh, yeah, yeah, 94, 95%. Got a couple of things to knock out, but I'm pretty much all, almost there. And that's insane. Yep. We all have, in the last episode, Glenn was talking about kind of the infinite depth of the Bible. In the same way, there's infinite spiritual growth for all of us. And uh, this is a scientific conversation that Jed and I have recently. The people who think, people, you may think you know what infinite is. It's not, you don't. Because you may say, well, it's like, you know, there's a thousand and a million and a billion and then infinite. It kind of stair steps. No. A trillion is, as clo- is closer to zero than it is to infinite. Yep. God's understanding of things is infinite. I say all that about this to make this point. Even if being not gay when whatever sense you for that would make you a better, a quote unquote, better Christian, if there were such thing, it would be an infinitesimal increase. Hmm. That's the thing. And that's what I want to promise you. Is whatever your, your journey with your sexuality and God is, and we, we wouldn't help you out as much as you can be part of it. But this idea that if you were just you, but not gay, you would be this awesome Christian. People are trying to sell you on. That's theologically insane. Right. Because A, again, we talk, there's no such thing as a good or bad Christian. They're just Christians. We all kind of suck at it. Yep. But even if you could put it on that 1 to 100 scale, it might the, any of these individual improvements might move us from a point zero 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 three to a point zero 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 three one. Yeah. This is not, we're not, all, none of us are almost there. Yep. So the Amen. reason to make these improve, to make these changes, to go along this, is because this is what God has for you. Okay. Now, you may get to the end of life and never dealt with the sexuality thing. Happens to plenty of people, as Leah's pointing out, happens to plenty of heterosexual people <laughs> yes. who go all the way through their life and never get yeah. any of their sex life stuff out of God. That will not mean you, you died a bad Christian where it could have been this whole other thing. We are all works in progress to an extent that we cannot possibly physically comprehend in our brains how much of a work in progress we are. So this is not about making changes, uh, growing, doing things differently 
to gain some kind of level up or some level of improvement. This is about a God who loves you and accepts you and wants things for your life, figuring out what those are and then pursuing them. That's what we want for you as well. Move on to our final question here. This is this is cool. This is actually a bridge question. So we have a if you've ever been to a bridge service or you haven't, we have a little box in the back. Like if you listen to the bridge podcast, all the uh, sermons we preach are suggestions. So people write them down, put them in the box, and then beginning of the month, Glenn goes through them and, and picks uh, the questions we're gonna we're gonna preach about. So uh, obviously that's a limited number, four or five Tuesdays in a month. So we're gonna start maybe folding some in on the show here that have some applicability. So you're going to hear how this came from the bridge with a lot, we have a lot of folks who majority of our bridge attendees are in active drug recovery, but so I'm going to read the question that was uh, given in and I'm going to broaden the idea a little bit as we answer it. So the question came in as written and says, how do I stay sober, but more spirit based than 12 step based? I'm new to 12 steps. You need to sponsor even before you get to step one. Step one is surrendering. And I already surrendered. Step two is give your will to a higher power. And I already did that but they say you can't do a step without a sponsor. So is it okay if I pray and do steps on my own? So a little background. Again, you are probably familiar with the 12-step recovery program thing, Alcoholics Anonymous being the most famous of them. So as this person points out, the step one is admitting that you're powerless in your addiction, you, you surrender to that. And step two is you give your will over to a higher power as you understand it. There are Christian versions of AA, AA is a Christian version of AA, but don't tell anyone. They don't right. want you to know, and that's fine. But so, but I think there's a lot of cool stuff. And Joe, I get you to start us off. You've been doing this work for a long time, but I think there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this question of kind of how do I reconcile? There is a a step by step method to improving something in my life, mm-hmm. but is not explicitly Christian. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how I maintain Christian elements in that, and. And I really respect this from the person who had a question. Doesn't that mean I can just totally disregard everything these experts say and kind of do it my own way, but with prayer? Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we approach this? You know, and you, feel free to use the twelve step thing as an example of there's a thing, but I want to Jesus it best I can. And how do I reconcile those? Sure, sure. No, that's a great question. Okay, so let's talk about um, something completely a spiritual. You need to change a tire on your car. There are steps to doing that. I call out to God when that happens, but there are other words around that. (laughs) Absolutely. There are steps to changing a tire on your car. You must find the jack. (laughs) You must... Or a very strong friend. (laughs) Or a very strong friend. You must loosen lug nuts. You must remove old tire. You must apply a new tire. You must retighten lug nuts. Here's a a few things on that. Um, You don't want to do those steps out of order. Because right. it super won't work. Don't try to put the new tire on over the old tire. That's not how tires work. You don't want to skip steps. <laughs> like, if you don't tighten the lug nuts back. Right. <laughs> Short drive. You're going to have a bad time. Do you really need to do that? Now, here's the thing of it is I'm exactly the kind of person that resents the idea that there are steps I must do in yeah. a certain order. Yeah. You don't know me. I'm going to yeah. disrupt tire changing. Exactly right. I, you know, who died and made you the tire king? I, I could have ideas about it. <laughs> just just um, going to punk rock tire changing. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, I'm not, you know, we love you. We're so glad you asked this question. But, you know, your first line, how do I stay sober but more spirit-based? Okay. We're going to talk about what it actually means to be spirit-based. But here's what most people mean when they say they want it to be spirit-based. I'm going to get so amped up on Jesus-y feelings, 
I'm going to play my Tomlin tracks at 11 until I am so much emotion and so many Jesus he feels that I don't need any wisdom or guidance of any kind. I can just like bash my head against the tire and boom, it's changed miracle. I'm back on the road. That's what most people mean when they say I want it to be spirit based. Is is that like more than a conqueror, Jed? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds new. Here's, let's talk about what it actually means to be spirit-based. This is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. This is in John chapter 14, I've heard that guy. verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, this is a really important part, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's talking about wisdom discernment, and perspective. It's not talking about feels or emotions at all. Let me repeat that. It's talking about wisdom, discernment, and perspective, not feels or emotions. There's nothing wrong with having Jesus he feels. There's nothing wrong with having positive emotions, but those don't help you change a tire, and they actually won't help you get or stay sober. Wisdom does that. Mm. Discernment does that. Strategy does that. And the way that you get wisdom, the way you get strategy, the way you get discernment should be spirit-based. God wants that for you. Here's the funny thing. If you'll get that wisdom and discernment and strategy from the Lord and act on it and put it into practice and see good results, you will have a lot of Jesus he feels. But they come on the other side. They don't come first. They, They come last. But now here's the other thing. One of the key ways that God wants to bring wisdom and discernment and strategy into our lives is through other people. Mm -hmm. Yes, he can and does do that through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer. He does do that through his word, but he super does that through other people. The point of a sponsor in AA is not someone who bosses you around. The point of a sponsor in any form of 12-step recovery is someone who's already gone through this terrain. People who are climbing Everest don't hire a Sherpa because they want someone to boss them around. They hire a Sherpa because they want to not die. This is really super dangerous. Someone who knows how to do it without dying is really valuable. Right. Uh, A sponsor is that. That's the point. Someone who knows how to do this without getting knocked off and having a problem. This is a get-to, not a have-to. This is a blessing, not a curse. And I think it's really worth looking at if I feel like the idea of anybody having anything to say in my life is pretty much co-equal with me being imprisoned. I think we may have found part of the stinking thinking in our lives that we, that we may want to look at. You should have a spirit based recovery. We want that for you. A spirit based recovery begins with wisdom and discernment and strategy and embraces the gift of those things, both directly through the Holy spirit, but also through the vehicle of other Christians. It's a great point. And Lee, I'd love to go to you here. And let's I think this is another thing. The 12-step thing is a very good um, kind of analogy for people doing this in all aspects of their spiritual life, I imagine. Could be wrong. But as a pastor, you may get a lot of this. People say, well, you know, it's a thing. You can't do it without a sponsor. You're not supposed to do it, you know, unsupervised. But couldn't I just do it, <laughs> like, by myself, where no one sees me do it and there's no accountability? <laughs> Never mind why I want to do it that way. But couldn't I just right. do it that way? 
Right. Let's let's explore that bit of stinking thinking, which I'm pretty sure is a term Jed just made up. <laughs> so, but the the idea of I, again, Lee, I know we we do see it a lot of times in folks working with, but I think church folk have this too of just like, yeah. but I could just do it with no one else around. And tell us that's why don't right. we explore why that's a bad idea? Serber is. Yeah, it's a terrible. It, exactly as you're saying, it's a terrible idea because um, is it technically possible that on your own? You could just make it. You could overcome this thing, whatever it is. Um, I guess. I guess it's technically possible. Um, but a, a real good question is, um, why would you do it that way? Yep. Um, the The thing about this is, is I, I think that in the end, the reason that I don't want anybody else involved in this process is. Because uh, it's either a what Jed said about I don't want anybody telling me what to do. It's that that's certainly got to be a piece of it. But there's another piece of this with which is just in my experience is just the it's the embarrassment of being kind of a screw up, you know, of 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 yeah. uh, of messing up. Um, it's just uh, there's a and and when it's something that's recurring like addiction is. Um, or even some kind of compulsive behavior or something like that, there's, there is a weariness that comes with continually having to, this is in my life again. Um, this is, this is still a thing. And that is a, it's a wearisome thing. It's, you feel like you're wearing people out. There's so much shame in it. There's just, shame is such an unbearable emotion. And, and we don't want to have to do that. And so if, if it's even remotely possible, like a one in a kabillion chance that I could possibly pull this off by myself, then I'd rather do that because that seems like it's so much less painful than just sitting down with another person and asking the question, would you help me? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I need help. And... I, I need somebody who, who would be willing to, to hang out with me and help me walk through this. That conversation feels so shamey and embarrassing and all that kind of stuff that I would do anything else just to avoid that piece. Here's a really cool thing. Um, there's a... There, there's an awesome old book. That we, I don't think we've done this in a long time, so I'm going to ring in the new year by, by bringing up a C.S. Lewis thing. But there's a, there's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Great Divorce, and it's about these people who basically are in hell, and they get the chance to kind of go to the border of heaven and decide if they want to hang out and stay. And it's, and it's a cool kind of thought experiment, like what's the thing really holding people back from, from eternal joy? And this one person is basically just saying, I don't want to go in there because everybody will see basically how bad I've been and how, what a mess I am. And the guy that's trying to convince this person to come in says, do you remember when you were on earth and there were drinks that were like, they were too hot to touch, but you could drink them. And he said, shame is like that, that you can, you can take it all the way down. If you just drink it down, you can, you can, it will do you good. If you try to do anything else with it, it will burn you. And this is the thing about that shame, that, that, that embarrassment of I need help is if you will, if you will trust us on this and have a conversation with somebody who knows how to be cool. And that's the great thing about actual sponsors in a 12-step program and stuff like that is that they know how to be cool. As Jed's saying, they're like the Sherpa. They've been here before. And you will 
go ahead and drink down the shame of, I am a person who needs help. I am a person who can't do this on my own. That thing that seems so huge and awful, once you do it, here's what you're going to find is you're going to find a world of awesomeness on the other side of that conversation. You're going to find a safe place to be yourself. You're going to find somebody that cares about your life, somebody that will pray for you, which is going to open up a whole new a whole new realm of spiritual power on this thing, by the way, if we just want to look at the spiritual power part of it. And you're going to find just a safe place to be. And it's the cool thing that you're going to find is, in my experience, they're not just going to help you with that one thing that you're looking on changing. They're going to help you in like all the rest of your life too. This is going to become a person that you're close to. And somebody that's really awesome at being a sponsor, they're going to say something cool to you, which is, you know what? You helped me today too. And that's such an awesome thing because you are helping them. You're helping them stay sober and they're helping you stay sober. Yeah, sure. It's technically possible that you could grit your teeth and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and really do this thing really hard and make it. I guess that's technically possible, but why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that when there's something available for you which will open up so much cool, safe, and, and, and sweet and good things in your life? And that's what this kind of wisdom and this kind of help and this kind of prayer and this kind of presence is going to bring into your life. Why would I cut that? Why would I, why would I cut myself short and cut that out of my life? Yeah, it feels embarrassing and it feels all shamey and it feels wearisome to have to go to somebody again and again with a thing. But man, the dividends from a relationship like that are unstoppable. Why would you cut yourself short? This is a positive thing. Just as Jed's saying, it's, this is a really long answer of, of saying exactly what Jed already said, which is it's a get to, not a have to. Don't sell yourself short. Amen. It's a Amen. great point. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I, I think that a lot of that, you know, I just want to do it on my own, where I can't be any way held accountable, is one of many ways, as I throw to you, Glenn, that um, ad- working with addicts, as I've learned for a few years, you got everybody in this show has been a lot longer, um, if we can learn a lot. Addicts are kind of the special forces of making uh, changes in life. Yes. They kind of, they have to do it. And yes. then, so those of us who are doing it in ways we talked about in previous questions, can well, we can learn a lot and draft out that. It's one of our... Our be- one of my favorite of our bridge preachers once opened his sermon with the greatest opening ever that I'm incredibly angry that anytime I do it, I'm silly for him. I'm a sinaholic. So I got to learn how to not do that. Yeah. But uh, so in that, both as we answer this question and maybe expand that out for what it tells us just about trying to make changes, what, what would you say to this person? Well, you know, I was having a conversation with my wife a little while back and, you know, I, I tend to be... Uh, you know, more of a cynical type person on a lot of things. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, she said, I, I said something about some situation. She says, well, you're just cynical. And I said, actually, I'm not a cynical person. And she says, why is that? And I said, because I'm way too big of an egotist to be cynical because I think I can fix anything. Sure. So, the, you know, it's that mentality of no matter what it is, I think I can willpower it into being something different. I, you know, the 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 rules don't apply to me. The basic principles of physics don't apply to me. This is, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can just just mentally will this into working. Sure. 
I know this to be wrong, but this is the there mindset. are more people at this meeting than can fit in this room. I will figure it out. That you just that's literally how my brain works. Exactly that. Just say you know it's just 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 everybody inhale and fellowship. <laughs> so here's the thing: is um, uh, addicts are are exactly the same thing. That's that's how they've gotten into a, an addiction. It's why I can relate to them. It's why. Um, uh, uh, kind of as you're saying, if you could harness that thinking and channel it and shape it a little bit to where it's a more of a thinking outside the box kind of mentality, it's more of a, you know, always see the possibilities mentality, a this can always turn around kind of mentality, then it's really fantastic. And I think that's what the Lord intends to happen out of those situations. But, um, you know, the Generally speaking, at some point when I'm when I'm talking with addicts and dealing with addicts, I will read them the verse about a man will reap what he sows, and then I say, "There's that." Now, do you believe that? And they say, "Yes." And I say, "No, no you, not you, in any possible way." Your you entire that. life is a testament to that you just fundamentally don't believe that when you plant in the ground, you're going to pull up from it. You are you're counting on walking between the raindrops. It's raining outside. I won't get wet. You just have it in your mind. I got a system. Way. Yeah, you got a system. And again, I recognize that thinking in myself, so I, can, I no one's judging off of that. So that means there's a, a there's a way that seems right to an addict. There's a possibility that seems like maybe this is going to happen. A lot of people listening to this have bad habits, and you got into that bad habit because you thought that consequence was never going to come around for you. It's the same sort of thing. Um, uh, it, it's about figuring out what works and working it. Yeah then figuring out how to improve it. Improving on step one is how people fall off and backslide and don't make things work. Whoa. I've seen this happen many, many times. I was uh, talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. He wants to uh, incorporate some of what we're doing at the bridge into his church, and and I told him, and he said something along the lines of, you know, I, I don't want to uh, you know, offend you by copying what you're doing in a way that's a little overt or something like that. And I said, brother, I, you know, you please just lift it, copy the whole thing. I'd be happy to show you how, as far as that goes. <laughs> I said, the, here's the here's the, the the more likely scenario, uh, which is I've heard this had this exact same conversation at this point dozens of times with different people who want to either do what I do in a, in a direct way or incorporate elements. 100% of those conversations have been, I want to do what, you, what you're doing, and I want to do it how you're doing it, but I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to improve it. I'm going to put some, I'm going to make it work for my people. I hear a lot of that. Uh, you know, we have a different situation, so I'm going to modify it on round one. And, 100% of those times, that has failed. 100%. So uh, having the mentality of, I, I know how to improve this thing I have never done before, really does not hold up to, to basic logic. If you change enough tire sticks, and Jed's analogy, you will find ways to improve on the, the, the tire changing process. Uh, if you become a mechanic and do that on a daily basis, there will be lots of little extra things you can do to improve that. Um, but it's about working those basic steps first and then figuring out how to improve that. Um, but I want to land where these fellows were on. Here's the thing about being in an addiction or even just, again, dealing with a bad habit. Nearly 100% of that is you doing it on your own. 
There are temptations that come, and there is nobody around to help you with that. There are frustrations that happen. There are whatever you're at work, and it, you got to wait till you get off work to call somebody or whatever the thing is. Most of these uh, temptation moments, these triggering kind of moments, happen in isolation. If you get a chance at some point, at any point, to have some fellowship, to have some encouragement, some support in that, get all of that that you can get. It's a blessing, and it's it, it's going to be too little, even if you actively pursue it with some, some real interest. So uh, let's not downgrade the impact of that. Let's not first from the get-go say, let me try and do this on my own. We all need that help and support. Everybody on this podcast, we get fellowship. Yeah. Uh, we figure out how to, to do these things together. We don't try and do these things in isolation. It's a great point. That's all very, very good stuff. One last um, uh, recovery cliche I will add on here that is true for all of us and I think really applies to this question is the idea that it's easier to steer a moving ship. Yeah. So I think a lot of what Glenn's talking about there, definitely talking about with the pastors, but I think it applies a lot to the idea of, well, let me iron out every last possible wrinkle. Yeah. and then we'll launch it. Right. As opposed to, as you say, let me start with a thing I know, and then we'll kind of drive that in. You know, the person in the question says, well, I, I pretty much already did that. Right. Well, yeah. they're saying, the people who do this for a living are saying you didn't. They didn't have a sponsor, so maybe that's an integral part of the process, you know. Right. And I think that is, there's a certain ego that we all have of, you know, well, I, I see angles, and it's tailored to myself. And none of that's really bad, you know, to use Glenn's analogy about... Uh, adapting the bridge to other places. Um, no one, I've never heard anyone sing the praises and the necessity of adapting ministry program more than Glenn Fitzgerald. That's right. Can't say some out of the box. Yes. But you don't know how to adapt it if you haven't done it yet. That's the whole thing. Yeah, you will want to adapt it, and they are right about mm. that, but you can't do that from You're the beginning. You're doing all sorts of theoretical adaptions <laughs> right. for a program that doesn't exist and people who aren't there. <laughs> right. You know the super fun thing about a sponsor they have done it before. A good sponsor is adapting it to your situation. Yes, That's right. yeah. Amen. Because you got, you got, and you will arrive at some things that don't work and say to a sponsor or a mentor, this is not working. And then you can drive around from there. Mm-hmm. But if you never get out of the dock, then you just have all this theoretical success and theoretical failure. Theoretically, I've been sober for decades. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. You know, my, in my spirit. Uh, you know, right. the time is, is very you know, valuable for all that. But so part of this is almost certainly that uh, fear of starting, which we all have. But it is, it, you're, just, uh, you're one step closer to doing it successfully. There's a reason that one of the biggest mantras, and even if you don't know anyone who's ever been in recovery, you have heard this, is one day at a time. Because that is, that is how all good change works. And you have enough. You only need enough strategy, willpower, all that stuff to succeed for one day. And you drive around. And again, that is another one of these. Um, recovery things that is very applicable to all of us. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We will remind you that uh, continuing in 2018, the Bridge Worship album oh, is available, mm. Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere yes, you sir. stream or download music. This is Ooh. a favorite off that that we haven't used in a while, and I think it's an appropriate January song, also inappropriate in the context of Hebrew 6, we're talking about easier. This is a Jed worship song called God Don't Let Me Quit. We're going to take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coming your way in 018, the Say That spinoff, Baking and Sewing for Jesus. Sharing <laughs> and crying. And crying. <laughs> God, so let me quit. 
Jesus, I don't have the strength unless you give me it. God, so let me go. Selling out on who I am when you were gone before your own. God, so let me think. I'm not welcome where